This is the Andres Segovia Show. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Andres Segovia Show. For those of you that are new around these parts, I am your host, Andres Segovia, broker out here in the People's Democratic Republic of California. On this podcast, I deal with business, tech, and California issues. And my guest today is no stranger to tech issues. She is the author of the book, Loomered, How I Became the Most Banned Woman in the World, Laura Loomer. Welcome to the Andres Segovia Show. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I, I had a poll up of my audience before uh, I made it a little public that I was having you on the program. Over 80% of respondents have said they never heard of Laura Loomer, which is sad, but we'll find out why. So for those who do not know you, can you please let them know who you are and what you do? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on. And I'm Laura Loomer. Um, I'm an investigative journalist and activist. And I also happen to be the most banned woman in the world. Um, I've been banned on all of the social media sites. And only recently, right, thanks to Elon Musk, uh, was I given my Twitter account back. Uh, but um, uh as, as you said, uh, I'm the author of the book, Loomered, How I Became the Most Banned Woman in the World. Uh, and, um, you know, after I found myself uh, banned on all these different social media sites for doing my investigative journalism, I uh, decided to start pursuing more free speech activism and uh, started filing litigation against the uh, big tech social media giants fighting for uh, free speech rights and the civil rights of people who are being deplatformed and silenced. And uh, eventually it inspired me to also run for Congress. And so I ran for Congress uh, as an America First Republican in Florida in 2020, and then also again in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people might think, well, she's banned from social media. Um, and for people that might hear about us, stuff like, oh, they probably deserved it or whatever. And I think people are a little misguided because uh, they don't they don't understand the ramifications of what that actually means. They hear cancel culture, they hear fact check, but they don't really know what all that stuff actually entails. They just it's like a whatever thing. And I think this serves and something that happened with your Twitter. I want to bring up a little later. I hope we have time for that. But something that people don't understand, um, you and I are probably a decade apart in age. I'm not going to ask for yours, by the way, but uh, we're, de- we're about a decade apart. And in the time frame of that tech that was developed, I could say that you grew up more in that tech space because it was part of your of growing up. You, you were basically growing up with it versus me seeing the stuff be born and then adopting it into my life. Yeah, absolutely. So for someone that became an investigative journalist, where did you store almost everything you had? So I'm 29 years old and you're absolutely correct in that, you know, my generation, the millennials, I guess you would call us, we really grew up in the age of the internet. And so um, my generation uh, has been accustomed, right, to utilizing the internet for all aspects of their lives. And, uh, you know, as an investigative journalist, you utilize social media in order to push your information out, to push your content out and to push your stories out. And so uh, prior to being banned everywhere, of course, I utilized my um, social media platforms in which I had, you know, a lot of followers, like millions of followers across all the platforms before I was banned um, to push out this information. And uh, when you are uh, witnessing, right, a decrease in uh, television news, broadcast news and print news and 
you know, kind of the more popular trend in uh, news and journalism today is um, maybe independent media and people utilizing social media to uh, push that information out. It puts you at an extreme disadvantage uh, when you're, you know, banned. It also puts you at an extreme disadvantage when you're a candidate for office and you're banned because we see how social media is used to reach voters and to convey messages and to uh, communicate with a constituency. And, you know, whether it be Barack Obama or Donald Trump, we saw this revolution in our own political system, um, you know, on the Democrat side and the Republican side with the use of social media and sites like Twitter and Facebook in campaigning. And so... It's an invaluable tool. And when one individual or one candidate is denied access to those sites simply because of their political affiliation, uh, like I was, right, the first deplatformed banned candidate in United States history, which means I was the first candidate to ever run for office and be denied access to social media, uh, it puts you at a huge disadvantage because it is illegal election interference. Mm. Yes, it, it definitely is. Um, and for some people like, well, I'm never going to run for office or anything like that. Uh, look, when, when I grew up, I still remember uh, going to university and someone coming up to me and says, hey, would you would you test Microsoft OneNote? Hey, uh, Facebook is arriving. Um, they're opening up slots for this university. Do you want to try it out? That's different than someone that grew up on it. Uh, and it, it's like I, I didn't want Facebook. I didn't use Facebook, but our classes for our studies and our study groups and all that, um, they created a Facebook account for me. That's how I ended up getting a Facebook account, not because I did it, but because it was done for, for me uh, among my um, the, the, the team circles for our classes. It, it, before that was MySpace, Friendster, all this other stuff. And it's like, whatever. I, I didn't feel like I needed to be a part of it. I didn't care. And I had Facebook and I never used it. It's part of a daily communication and, and some of the younger crowd says oh, that stuff's boring. I moved on to the other things, not knowing that if you're on Instagram, you're technically on Facebook, you're on WhatsApp, you're technically on, on Facebook, which is now meta and all these different things. So these guys are gobbling up all these other places. Like, yeah, I'm not on Facebook because it's not cool. No, but you're there. So when you're banned, say, from Facebook, which then exo facto means you're also banned from Instagram, um, possibly WhatsApp. If you're banned from all this, you're banned to that access. And some people think like, well, what does it matter? You're socializing. You just hit the nail right on the head. Being able to reach other people, especially if you have a, not just a political candidacy, but business, um, whether you're providing a good or a service, now you can't reach that clientele. And despite the fact that how many, many people might feel, I don't want to be on Facebook. Yeah, but where's your clientele? They're on Facebook. It, and that also happens for Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, where is the conversation happening? Where do you, where's the people you want to reach? Uh, well, they're on Twitter. And if you can't be there, then how can you reach them? Um, and that's not also everything. It so happens that because you grew up on that, and this is something you highlight in your book, where a lot of your stuff was on these tech platforms, your life was digital. And I'm sure many people, including from your age group and, and younger, all their lives are digital. And it's like, you lose access to that. I've had it where I left my wallet at a mall once and I didn't panic. I left my phone once and I panicked. The difference being that, hey, that's my life there. Yeah, but someone else could take your identity, your money and all that. Yeah, but my life is on the phone. 
Yeah, That's this day and age, all your money can be on your phone, right? And yeah, so exactly. it's not like just losing your ID or your, you know, your bank card and you call and you get it deactivated. A lot of people have their bank cards now stored in their phone, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people have their money on their phone. And if you if you lose your phone, you're losing everything in the sense that there's an app for everything. And we have put all of our lives onto this this device, right? And so yeah. um I don't think that you know, people who grew up in a different age, like an analog age, right? Mm -hmm. um, like our parents or grandparents, uh, they didn't grow up with social media or the internet. So for them, it may sound melodramatic, but when your um, entire livelihood originates from you being able to, you know, utilize the internet or uh, you went to school and you paid for a degree in the field of journalism, like I did, and you're not able to utilize it unless you're able to distribute your content, uh, you start to see that these are not just free speech issues. They become civil rights issues when, hmm. you know, five billionaires in Silicon Valley are deciding who gets access and who doesn't get access right to these sites. Uh, you're, you're trying to predestine somebody's future and um, the potential that they are able to express in a digital, in a digital world, in a digital uh, public square, which we find ourselves living in today. Yeah. And uh, th there's a couple of other tech companies that w we didn't mention that you're also banned from, but it, it extends to that. Uh, but before that, I don't want to miss this thing about Twitter because you proved something to me that I suspected from the very get-go. I left Facebook a couple of years ago. I left Twitter last year. I burned every bridge that I made. I was um, a movie critic. I covered a lot of the same things you did, but more localized here in California. Um, I've been doing this since 2003 as a newsletter before I went into a blog, before it became a podcast, before it just became literally microblogging on Twitter. It became like my go-to tool. Uh, but then I just hated what Twitter was doing. I ended up leaving Twitter and I, I rebranded the show and brought this back four years ago, but uh, in more of a business and, and helping people be smarter, work smarter, not harder through tech. Uh, but every time I brought that up, I always ran into this issue where it's like, I got to talk about some things people will consider political, but it's also because, hey, I got to warn you. Uh, I've warned years ago about social credit system style stuff and things like that. And then when they hear that, oh, Alex Jones gets banned or, or Laura Loomer gets banned for anybody that's in the know, it's like, oh, yeah, they um, yeah, they probably deserved it and all that. It's like, well, here's the thing that are you either whether you like a person or not, it's not the issue. It's is it constitutional? And it was not constitutional. And it wasn't a thing that was a violation of terms of services. It was just like, we don't like you. And that's and if we allow that kind of power to a, a companies that want our so-called platform that publishers then we're, we're all at risk and i think people are, more people have woken up to that than not but more people still need to know because they're being gaslit and you're a prime example of that because uh very few people have heard about people being banned from like airbnb or an uber eats or a lift Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah and you're are, are you also banned from airbnb yeah, so I found myself banned from Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, Uber Eats, PayPal, GoFundMe, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Clubhouse, you name it, right? I mean, even Chase Bank once shut down my online access to my bank account. So, um, you know, I, I've been banned in incredible ways. I've even been banned from being able to own or possess a firearm by mm. the FBI simply because I confronted and exposed James Comey, the former FBI director, um, in one of my investigations. So, um, you know, we see that they like to target people and Elon Musk now, who now owns Twitter, 
um, has been confirming a lot of this and we've been gaslit. I think that's the perfect word that you used, right? We have been gaslit by the elites in the media and politicians into thinking that we're conspiracy theorists, right? There's something wrong with us and that <laughs> we're making this up and that we're just uh, making things up to justify our own narrative. But no, Elon Musk, who purchased Twitter, described Twitter as both a social media site and also a crime scene. And he yes. has been transparent and he is, you know, releasing this information in the form of various Twitter files to expose to people the truth of what's been happening at these companies. And it turns out the conspiracy theorists were right all along. Yeah. You know, I, I hate using that. Um, I use a, a, a GIF, GIF, whatever people want to call it, um, from Jurassic Park where Ian Malcolm says, boy, I hate being right all the time. That's that's kind of how I felt. Um, but right. in, in terms of proving something that happened by you being restored by Twitter, it proves something to me for why I decided to leave from Facebook. I decided to leave from Twitter because like, hey, I'm taking my data with me because if you ban me, I don't know you're going to keep the data. When were you banned from Twitter? So I was permanently banned from Twitter in November of 2018. And then in in November of um, 2017, I had been unverified on Twitter. Mm, so, you know, my, my, the censorship of my Twitter account was a multi-year process because it really began to be censored in 2016, but mm. then I was fully banned permanently in 2018, November 21st. Yeah. So and censored, uh, I was banned probably, for yeah. simply calling Ilhan Omar anti-Jewish and exposing the fact that she was pro-Sharia uh, I had been exposing her ex extensively while she was running for Congress before, of mm -hmm. course, she was elected in 2018. Yeah. And um, my investigations exposed how she married her brother and how she has all these ties to terrorist organizations and, um, you know, some of her uh, previous ties to um, anti-Semitic organizations and uh, Twitter banned me for hate speech, for simply criticizing an elected official and actually reporting the truth. And now, years later, turns out everything that I said uh, was 100% true. And, um, you know, I asked myself, like, how many other people have been silenced or banned mm -hmm. or shut down for simply reporting things that turned out to be 100% true? Yeah, but it, all, it also highlights one thing, though, because, yes, you were centered and throttled between 2006, uh, 2016 and 2018 when you were permanently banned, permanently banned. They held on for your data for at least four years. When you came back on, it's like, oh, look, I got my keys to my stuff again. Yeah. And and that's the thing that I expected, that if people were banned from Facebook and everything else, hey, they kept the data. It's like, hey, it's ours now. You know, and they kicked Well, and I out. thought that I was never going to get it back. So when Elon Musk said that they were going to reinstate the accounts of people and that you were going to get everything back, I mean, they must be collecting people's data, just like you said. And it's not like they delete your account and they delete your data. They're holding on to it. And so what are they doing with that data, right? And that opens Absolutely. up a whole other can of worms with privacy issues and, you know, data mining. And this is exactly what these companies are, are guilty of doing. So um, I would say that tech, big tech tyranny is the biggest threat facing our country and the entire world today. And mm -hmm. when you look at all the chaos in the world right now, um, whether it's the economy or immigration or, you know, voter fraud or, you know, um, people dying from COVID vaccines, all of it is traced directly back to big tech censorship because we're in these positions because the elites censored us from getting information out that could have actually prevented things from happening. Right. So, yeah. mm -hmm. 
you're seeing a lot of people drop dead from the vaccine. You're seeing people have health issues, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you, you said you talked about this. Um, well, it's an issue when you, when you talk about issues locally in California, the mandates, right. And the lockdowns and how Mm -hmm. people were being censored for pointing out that Gavin Newsom was walking around and going to posh restaurants and, you know, while everybody was being threatened with lockdown orders and told that they couldn't go out to eat and that their businesses had to be closed. He was having dinner at five-star restaurants and renting the place out. So, and when you post those videos, you would get banned. So Mm -hmm. there's nothing illegal about posting that information, but because it's inconvenient to the narrative of the elites and Mm -hmm. uh, the people who are pushing this new world order, which they're using censorship as the tool to get people on board, right? Mm -hmm. They ban you. They ban you if you're a political dissenter. And so that's why censorship is so dangerous. And that's why, you know, as a journalist and as somebody who's been banned and deplatformed, even now that I have my Twitter back, you know, I'm still advocating for people and fighting for free speech because uh, the, the conversation about Twitter is very surface level. It's not just Twitter, as we just pointed out. It's banks, okay? It's food delivery apps. It's rideshare apps. <laughs> it's payment processors, um, uh, Airbnb, right? So all types of different apps and services are deplatforming people and silencing people simply because of their viewpoints and their constitutionally protected speech. And, um, you know, when we talk about censorship, a lot of times people only talk about in relation to Facebook and Twitter or mm-hmm. Instagram, and they forget about all these other elements. Yeah. And it becomes a social credit system when you even consider LinkedIn, which is owned by Microsoft, because if you're say you were banned from Microsoft, guess what that means? You're banned from someone like me that relies on on OneDrive for a lot of the different things that I do. I have terabytes right. of data in the cloud and the cloud literally means someone else's computer. And in this case, the tech space through their uh, data farms are the ones that are storing all of your data. Uh, and then you can even go to the microscopic level when we talk about metadata, a bunch of zeros and ones. Um, that's what people don't know that it can, it goes to the basics of that. And we've been tracked long before the smartphone even existed. And we can also point to the metadata. That's a passing reference to 2000 mules. I wish they did a little better job in explaining it, but it's pretty good stuff. Now with all that's, that's been said with respects to you being banned from all this. Uh, you and I got connected uh, sometime over the summer when I was really diving into your book. And I sent a picture um, uh, via Getter highlighting some text that you wrote in your book where you said that big tech tried to erase you and yeah. people have people forget you. More than 80% of my audience who knows Project Veritas, which you failed to mention, by the way, that you worked with Project Veritas. Right. <laughs> and well, there's like just they- there's so much to talk about, you know, like in, in the time span of an interview. But exactly. I, I, you know, when I say I'm a journalist, I got my career started working with Project Veritas doing undercover journalism. And then I started my own um, my own um, media company. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I wasn't banned while working, right? While working for Project Veritas, I was banned when I started my own media company. But when I was working for Project Veritas as an undercover journalist, but then also as a communications director, I had access to James O'Keefe's social media. I ran his social media and his um, the Project Veritas social media accounts. And I will tell you that um, we were censored during the 2016 election when we were releasing mm-hmm. our uh, voter fraud series exposing um, Hillary Clinton's voter fraud activities. And so um, this was something that was happening, um, you know, even during the 2015-2016 presidential race, and I got to witness it firsthand. 
And it went years without being addressed. I mean, think about that 2015 to 2020, five years. Okay. And no one did anything about it. And now finally in 2022, someone's actually, you know, they're finally starting to talk about it. And when I say nobody did anything, obviously people like myself and other grassroots activists and, you know, some journalists uh, did something about it. I've certainly filed numerous lawsuits against big tech over the years. Uh, But when I say nobody, I'm talking about our politicians did not do anything to address this issue. Yeah. And because we're we're also short on time, there's uh, there's two things that I want to get out of the way before picking up on what you just said. Um, I I got reacquainted with you because I remember you from the Project Veritas days. That's how I got to to know you, the whole Loomer thing. And when you confronted Jack Dorsey not too long ago, it was about 18 months ago or so, I'm like, she still got it. And uh, for those of you watching um, in more recent time, um, some even argue that Kevin McCarthy is getting rumored. So it's, and yeah. it's like, you still got it. And and, he, and the thing is that there was a period in time uh, because I took that picture of that text when I was reading it and I sent it to you because like big tech almost made me forget about you. But leading up to the 2020 election is when I started uh, testing out other social media platforms. I ended up on Parler. Uh, and when Parler was taken down, uh, I ended up finding Gab. And on Gab, I found you. I'm like, holy yeah. smokes. I, I thought she was gone. And then exactly. Gab popped up. And, and that's what better. they do. They try to make people erase you. And now that I'm back on Twitter, you know, people who didn't get on Gab or Parler or True Social or Telegram, they're like, oh, my God, I forgot about you. Where have you been these last four years? Right. And they, they literally <laughs> forget you. And that's the whole role mm-hmm. of censorship. And it's scary because, you know, when you're in this millennial age group, And maybe, you know, for people who are older listening, they maybe they don't relate to this so much because times were different. But in this day and age, you know, you don't really always remember. I mean, sometimes you remember your friend's birthday or your family's birthday. I certainly, you know, do. But Mm -hmm. if you people generally see like when it's someone's birthday because they get a Facebook notification or they see something on their Instagram or something pops up. When you are banned, people don't get any updates from you. They don't get to see what you're doing. They don't get life updates from you, mm-hmm. you know, and then eventually you just start to come, you become a distant memory in their mind. And yeah. that's, that's pretty awful because it's a very isolating feeling. And so, you know, not only is censorship a tool to silence people and oppress them and, you know, to quell political dissent, but it's also a way to isolate people and to make people feel alone. Yeah. And you do open up about that in your book, which is what I'm going to tie into. But before I lose the point, um, this thought was that when I found out you wrote a book after connecting with you, I'm like, oh, look, she wrote a book. And I saw that on Parler. That's how I think we first connected on Parler before we connected on on the others. But uh, you wrote an entire chapter exclusively dedicated to the shooting of uh, what happened in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. That's very near and dear to me because my sister-in-law was supposed to be there and canceled at the last minute. Okay. And I'm like, holy smokes, imagine you had gone. She is the mother of six children now. So my family would have been without all those other kids. So when you wrote about that, I and I picked up your book. I read your book kind of like a Christopher Nolan movie where I was kind of jumping around the book because I wanted to get to that chapter. But I was just so like engrossed in the first couple of chapters. By the way, James O'Keefe wrote the foreword. So that's uh, really cool. And you call him a brother, yeah. which I think is beautiful. Well, when I finally got to that uh, to that chapter, I'm like, you were the one that was showing the elevator things because I had forgotten. That was, was yeah, that was me. Was that par- 
And that's the thing a lot of people forget, right? Because when they erase all of your journalism, people forget, you know, what you did. And now like I'll have people sometimes make really nasty remarks to me like, oh, what have you done? Right. (laughs) Like when I'm criticizing politicians or exposing something and they'll say, oh, it's easy for you to be a keyboard warrior. And then when I show them or tell them they have no idea because of the censorship. So Uh, it really creates a, an, an information blackout. And it's yeah. scary to think how y- your entire resume can be t- deleted and wiped from the internet. When you would Google my name, it wouldn't show any of the stuff that I that I had done or any of the work I did because Google, of course, when my Wikipedia page, they just lied about me and accused me of things that I never did mm-hmm. while yeah. completely erasing, right? All evidence yeah. of my videos and my investigations online. So um it was pretty scary and that's what's happening in our, in our world today where um, they can in the click of a button with the click of a button or an algorithm, they can make you disappear. Yeah. Delete your existence. And it is to that, that I, I, uh, folks, for those of you uh, listening on the audio or tuning in on one of the video platforms, any references and all links to Laura Luma will be available in the show notes accompanying this episode at www.dangerouscoba.com. Laura recently had an, epic twitter space i believe that was on crypto lawyers and i'll be leaving a link to that it was a what a five hour thing but there was yeah a, it's like five hours yeah, yeah the, but uh, the, the last hour contains discussions about the las vegas shooting unfortunately i think the best in-depth discussion was i think it was an off-the-cuff um live stream you ended up doing with uh i think is dalton uh clock filter around back around thanksgiving or so around um, about with, the things about the las vegas shooting yeah, yeah, it was like an hour and a half cozy live uh, TV thing, uh, but unfortunately, the replays only last for a few days, and afterwards, it's gone. That's why I wish was stored because I was just like lost in it. And then they were they were showing some of your old clips of when you took care of that business this is before you came back on Twitter, by the way. Um, so I'll be leaving links to at least the the, the Twitter space for people uh, look up more into this. But that's why I picked up your book, and I ended up uh, when I read through your book um, recently was making the rounds on Twitter because of, of, of Capitol Hill and all this, um, there was a discussion about like, oh yeah, the time when uh, a Republican auctioneer was shouting down uh, Laura Loomer, who was speaking at one of these uh, um, tech hearings. Tech where, hearings yeah. yeah, and they shouted you down. Now the backstory behind that was what you talk about what happened afterwards. Because if I'm not mistaken, that's the moment where you go to the bathroom and felt alone. Is Wasn't that the moment? Yeah. And, you know, you're you're talking about the tech hearing where Jack Dorsey was asked to testify in Congress about censorship. And I stood up and confronted him during the hearing and Republicans shouted me down and asked for the police to escort me out, even though I was calling Jack Dorsey out for lying to Congress about censoring conservatives. Right. Mm-hmm. So yes. uh, the, the Republican Party has been a problem when it comes to censorship. They love blaming the Democrats. And I'll tell you, as a Republican, And as the most banned woman in the world, and as somebody who ran for office with no social media, um, I asked the Republican Party for help, and they did nothing because they're in on it, right? They also want dissent to be quelled. They don't want an America First movement. They want to have the uniparty establishment, rhino leadership controlling everything. And so, um, you know, it was that moment that I realized, like, how big of an issue this was and how much of an uphill battle it was going to be to defeat you know, all the censorship, because it's not just leftist, right? It's not just one sided, both sides are benefiting from the censorship, both sides are complicit in the censorship and the election interference with big tech. Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely awful. But and that's something that I didn't expect to get from the book. 
Um, I thought it was just going to be over, like just an overview of some of the things that uh, that you went through. But no, this is getting to know Laura Loomer, the person. And that's what I found. That was my biggest takeaway from the book. But it was that moment um, as someone that's also uh, felt alone despite being surrounded by love. Um, I'm a suicide survivor five times felt I'm still here. And you know, I, I felt I felt you and how they, they tried to get you to Epstein yourself. And that was not, uh, oh, wait, Epstein didn't kill himself, though. Um, but uh, that's what they wanted to get out of you. And I'm glad that you that you didn't. We, we need you. You're, you're a powerful voice. And they can't, they can only slow you down, but they can't stop you. And that's why I, I, I wanted to reach out to, to talk to you. And unfortunately, yes, we definitely. don't we don't have as much time and because you got to get going back to well, work. Well, but, I'll come on again. The only reason why it's short tonight is because um, when I had booked the interview, I wasn't planning on coming on an impromptu trip to Washington, D.C. So I had booked my travel yesterday. So it was kind of a spur of the moment thing to come out here when I was watching this speaker vote and you know, decided that I needed to come out and hold the establishment accountable and confront people who are voting for McCarthy for speaker because he cannot be speaker. And, uh, but, um, I'm definitely going to come back on because, um, they adjourned today. I was thinking that I was going to be done for the night and be able to just, you know, do this podcast and talk to you for however long, but you know, these Republicans can't seem to (laughs) realize that we, the people are over Kevin McCarthy and we don't want Kevin McCarthy as our speaker. So, um, there's a lot of content and, you know, videos that I'm going to be filming here, confronting politicians that I can share with you. And I, I definitely want to come on again because um, I agree with you know what you're saying. And it's, yeah. these are important and, conversations. Yeah. And I, and I love to have you back on. That's why I purposely, when I first reached out to you purposely uh, picked, or this is the first time I'm introducing this segment, by the way, because you got to get going here. I, a rapid fire section of questions of yes or no, or just one worded answers Yeah. because like, I knew this would happen. I'm like, no, anything can happen. I got to be prepared for the anything, but we will, uh, but we will do another one maybe next week or so we can even just I, do a follow up hey, one or the week after you tell me it's like, Hey, we're we can go two. through the clips. Cause <laughs> I'm out here confronting all these oh. politicians and we can go through them all because I definitely want to give you a lot more time. Yes. Cause that AOC thing was gold. That was that was so beautiful. I I, I I laughed too hard. Thank you for clipping out just that moment. Like <gasps> that's, that's cool. but, but hey, if 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 you uh, if if they made a biopic about Laura Loomer, who would play you in a movie? Wow, I don't know. Honestly, you know, I don't really watch a lot of movies, so I don't know. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure who would be able to film me. Who do you think should Who do you think should do it? I I, I ask myself the same question. Maybe. Angela Huston, even though she's a hardcore leftist, but back in her heyday, because uh, you you almost did pull off the Morticia look like, from her from way back. I'm like, holy smokes, is yeah, that Morticia? Exactly, no, that's like the dark hair. I have some highlights, like some yeah. red in my hair now, too. Yeah. But, yeah. Yes, I did notice that. I'm like, wait, did you get those uh, while you were on vacation? Was it Costa Rica? Uh, but I, I don't remember. No, I just did this. Re- I had them done, actually, before I left. And then, um, you know, red is kind of one of those colors that takes a lot of maintenance. So when I, <laughs> I was in the ocean a lot, and then the salt water kind of, it's hard on the highlights, but now it's just a little bit of red, just to gotcha. break up the black. Well, yeah. I, I think they compliment you well. Uh, well, you. if oh, wait, with Jack Dorsey, uh, this whole, <laughs> the, I, I want to see a film about Laura versus Jack Dorsey, but how could that not be a rom-com? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny too, because um, Jack Dorsey was actually interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine a couple of years ago about when I handcuffed myself to Twitter. <laughs> And he was like, you know, I respect that. I like Laura Lemur's protest. Like it was kind of punk rock. And 
it was funny because they asked him about it and how, you know, he felt about me doing what I did. And, you know, but look, I think, uh, I think that we're not going to heal as a country. We're not going to heal as a world unless people who committed these crimes are, you know, faced with justice. So we need justice, especially for the victims of censorship. And just think of how much harm has been carried out in our world over these last few years, especially with the rise Mm. of, you know, the COVID lockdowns due to censorship. And so, you know, just think of everything that's happening in the news cycle right now and how it's impacted by censorship. And I think that uh, Jack Dorsey, as I've said to his face on multiple occasions, he's guilty of election interference. He's guilty of human rights Mm -hmm. violations and he needs to be held accountable. Well, it's along those lines. I ask you this question: What's the biggest threat to democracy? Is it a big tech communism, the elites in each party, or pineapple on pizza? Um, <laughs> I would say that it's big tech tyranny because big tech tyranny is a form of communism. All right, and this question, because uh, I need the answer to this: Would you rather be stuck in an elevator with in an elevator with Rashida Tlaib, uh, Alejandro Ocasio Cortez, uh, or get a lecture? Oh, it's, sorry, I mixed I mixed these up. Would you rather go karaoke with Ilhan Omar um, or would you rather be stuck in an elevator with Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez, get a lecture for Rashida Tlaib or handcuff yourself inside a shark tank? What was the third one? Get a lecture what? Uh, Get a lecture from Rashida Tlaib. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe karaoke would be interesting. You know, maybe (laughs) karaoke would be. With Ilhan Omar? Yeah, because she hates me so much. So maybe if we would be forced to sit there and, and do something that's supposed to be fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and, she uh, definitely does not like me. Yeah. And well, it's just you're going to be live streaming soon. What video games are you going to be live streaming? Well, I don't I don't play video games per se, yeah, but I have a Kobe channel now and I'm just going to be streaming and uh, you know, doing some commentary and maybe streaming some videos. All Maybe right. I should start playing though, right? <laughs> right. Uh, last Any question. Recommendations? Like, what should I? I used to play a lot when I was a kid. I used to love my Nintendo. Oh, but Nintendo I don't really never play gets anything. old. But when I was a kid, I was addicted to my Nintendo. It never gets old. And it's pocketable now, so you could take it everywhere. Last question I'm going to leave you before we sign off uh, to everybody else. What's better satire? The Onion, the Babylon Bee, or CNN? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I don't know. The the Babylon Bee actually turns out to be real news because the satire uh, event eventually ends up turning into reality. And the Babylon Bee has seen this, that a lot of their stories end up turning out to be real stories. So um, I would say that CNN is just full-blown fake news. It's not even satire. But um, but I, I, I really like, I like Babylon Bee stories. Yeah. All right. So that's a tie between CNN and Babylon Bee with... Babylon be more, be more trustworthy. Laura Loomer, where can people find you uh, online nowadays, now that you're back on Twitter too? Well, I'm on Gab and Parlor and Truth Social and uh, let's see where else. And uh, Getter at Laura Loomer. And then I'm on Twitter now again. Thanks to Elon Musk at Laura Loomer. Um, and then I'm on Telegram at Loomered Official. And then I have my own website, Loomered, L-O-O-M-E-R-E-D.com. And then as you uh, pointed out in the beginning, you people can also buy, order my book, Loomered, How I Became the Most Banned Woman in the World. And I have signed copies available on my website, loomered.com. 
All links which will be available at the show notes of the company's episode at www.thingsgrover.com. Don't hang up yet, but we're sending off everybody else. Thank you very much for joining me. Laura, I'll love to have you on. You say when and I'll make it happen. Sounds good. Thank you.